While he was considering this, Port rose and politely took his leave, a little abruptly, it is true, but he could hardly be expected to remain by the bedside the whole afternoon. Besides, he promised to stop by and withdraw the complaint. As he walked along the hot road toward the walls of Beau Noir, he kept his head down, seeing nothing but the dust and the thousands of small, sharp stones. He did not look up because he knew how senseless the landscape would appear. It takes energy to invest life with meaning, and at present this energy was lacking. He knew how things could stand bare, their essence, having retreated on all sides to beyond the horizon, as if impelled by a sinister centrifugal force. He did not want to face the intense sky, too blue to be real above his head, the ribbed pink canyon walls that lay on all sides in the distance, the pyramidal town itself on its rocks or the dark spots of oasis below. They were there and they should have pleased his eye, but he did not have the strength to relate to them, either to each other or to himself. He could not bring them into any focus beyond the visual, so he would not look at them. Hello and welcome. I'm Douglas Bowles, and this is 42 Minutes, a podcast about meaning from SyncBook Radio and distributed by thesyncbook.com. You can find our archives at 42minutes.com, and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. You can also follow our tweets at Sync42 and at SyncBook. It's Saturday, June 12th, 2021, and today, for the spring installment of the 42 Minutes Seasonal Book Club, we're going to connect with a distant relative of mine in a distant land under the sheltering sky. The Sheltering Sky is a 1949 novel of alienation and existential despair by American writer and composer Paul Bowles. The story centers on Port Moresby and his wife Kit, a married couple originally from New York who traveled to the North African desert accompanied by their friend Tunner. The journey, initially an attempt by Port and Kit to resolve their marital difficulties, is quickly fraught by the traveler's ignorance of the dangers that surround them. When The Sheltering Sky was first published in 1949, it established Paul Bowles as one of the most singular and promising writers of the post-war generation. Its startlingly, startlingly original vision has withstood the test of time and confirmed Tennessee Williams' early estimation, The Sheltering Sky, alone of the books I have read by American authors, appears to bear the spiritual imprint of recent history in the Western world. In this classic work of psychological terror, Bowles examines the way in which Americans apprehend an alien culture and the ways in which their incomprehension destroys them. The story of three worldly young travelers, Port and his wife Kit and friend Tunner, adrift in the cities and deserts of North Africa after World War II, The Sheltering Sky is merciless in its evocation of the emotional dislocation induced by a foreign setting. As the Americans embark on an ill-fated journey through desolate terrain, they are pushed to the limits of human reason and intelligence by the unfathomable emptiness and impassive cruelty of the desert. Along the way, they encounter a host of enigmatic characters who an inarticulate strangeness seals the travelers off even more completely from the culture in which they are traveling, causing their fierce attachments to one another to unravel. The sky here is very strange. I often have the sensation when I look at it, it's a solid thing up there protecting us from what's behind. Hello, Znor. Hello, SJ. How are you doing tonight? Very good. 
Wonderful. Glad to be here, Doug. Nice to hear you. Yeah. So, um, I know we've all seen the film, um, Este, and you were reading the book a little bit. How much of the book did you get read? Well, I just got through the first couple of chapters, and uh, unfortunately, and part of why I've been very busy, but part of it was I saw how closely it adhered, at least in those chapters, to what I had seen on the screen, that that gave me some confidence there, and I just wanted to get a sense of the prose, and so maybe some of the different sense of the characters and how they were presented, so I didn't get much farther than, I guess, uh, Kit and Tunner, uh, as she approaches the door and mocks him for his grin, that's that's how far I got uh, in, in the novel. Well, so uh, you always do a good job of plot summary, but um, you know what is what what's happening in the film? You know that's worth noting, I guess. Just in general, through like the film as a whole, or yeah, just the beginning yeah, parts? like what what is what is the story? kind of in a nutshell yeah i think i think you did a great job in your summary of uh encapsulating like if i had a one or two sentence summary it would be something like you know uh uh travelers maybe disingenuous arrogant travelers get throttled um as they um go into north africa um you know, that's something like that. I mean, that, you know, that, that just a short sentence. Throttle is even a euphemism. I mean, they get just smacked into, you know, hardcore, intense trauma. Um, uh, it, you know, so travelers experiencing trauma, you know, something like that. Intense physical, emotional, and mental trauma uh, may be part of an arrogance uh, being to blame. You were mentioning that when you watched the trailer, you really didn't have any sense of what that, what that film was going to be about. Like, what was startling to you? I guess it started when the scene I think that's most startling is when they have to eat soup with bugs everywhere. And, um, you know, it starts descending into this kind of survival uh, film where, you know, the comforts that you begin the movie in and that are shown in the trailer, elegant actors, beautiful young John Malkovich with his unique, you know, handsome looks, you know, um, the, 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 the female actress, uh, I forgot her name, Deborah Winger. Is it Deborah yeah, Winger? That's right. That yeah. short hair and she's got striking features, good looking Tunner as, as Kit describes him, you know, and then it's more about their kind of feeling of being expat artists. That's how I thought the film was going to be like a, maybe a, a more subtle and artistic, um, engagement of relationships and art and travel. And and then when you see the film and it descends into kind of a, the decay of the physical body, can I just say it? I mean, death is a part of it. Uh, we can maybe talk all about that. The kind of limits of um, what happens when you get thrown to the wolves, you know, um, this this is what the film, I think, at its core is really about. All the other stuff is just a, is this part in the early acts setting us up to what will get torn away and ripped away from these characters. And so that's that's, you know, and then watching the first you know act, the first 30 minutes of the film or more, I'm like, wow, this is cool. Like, I can't wait to, to see the relational dynamic and maybe that we're going to deal with love and affairs and desire and jealousy. Like maybe that will be taken to its full fullness in terms of what's explored here. But that gets pulled out from under us. And then we're into this kind of raw survival film, you know. And that's sort of what shocked me. I was like, wow, this is like, this is crazy. I never saw it taking that direction. Um, but something that's interesting, and Zanor 
can corroborate is so my my experience with the first scene where they they check in so they're in the the main city and then they go a little further out and um and he goes for a walk and then now maybe that is in the main city it's right at the beginning of the book but so he's at the he goes for a walk and he meets the guy and the guy brings him uh, like out of the city and down kind of into the plane and into these tents and you know tries to uh you know solicit uh, some uh, prostitution for him and i don't i mean it seemed like in the movie it was really developed like um like you know there's nudity and a lot of sex and this and that but i didn't really i didn't get that i didn't get that from the the text itself but then at the end of the movie you know it made the the camel driver seem a lot more wholesome than the book and the, it's pretty gnarly at the end of the book can you speak to that a little bit Zanor? Um, just the difference of the two of the movie and the book, or um, yeah, um, or, uh... yeah, I've seen uh, like so now I've read the book twice. Um, the first time was about 10 years ago, and I read it, I read it on an island in Cambodia. This it's called Rabbit Island in English, and I just read it there. And I have I, I brought the same version, I read it again. This is the Library of America version. Um, so I also read, so I read the sheltering sky and then I, I read, let it come down and the spider's house. And those two books are amazing as well. Um, but then I went, I, so I came back and then I watched the movie a long time ago as well. And so then this time again, I read the, the book first and then watched the movie again. Um, but yeah, I, I really, I really enjoy the movie. I think it's one of the best um, adaptations of a novel that I've seen on film. Um, but it's still, and it, there's certain things about the movie that are like amazing that you don't get from the book. Obviously, like the visuals and, and then the yeah. music. Music is so amazing in the in the movie. Um, well, just the sense of their the... luggage, just seeing all their luggage was had more impact than I knew that they had a lot of luggage. They were ridiculous Americans, but like seeing all the the kids carrying the luggage around, like there, it just had more impact. Yeah, yeah, and just to see just to see those scenes of North Africa, like what they what the sky scenes are the the biggest the biggest thing, like just the huge vast picturesque skies. Um, and so that's something obviously that you don't get in the book, but what you don't get in the movie is is uh, just this underside, this sort of psychological weirdness. It's almost like it's it's it's, it's deeper than psychological. It's it's like a it's a book of omens. Um, like Kit is obsessed with omens all the way through. That's a deep part of her whole character, and it's like uh, the whole book. Um, really progresses from one. It's it's almost like this inexorable pattern of things that's happening. Like this sort of. Is um, it the train dream that you're referencing? Yeah, well, yeah, that's sort of where it, it, in a way, where that starts. Yeah, you can you get a sense that it started way before that too, right? But yeah, for sure, with a train dream that that enters in. Um, but it describes Kit's um, character in one sense as this kind of like uh, um, war between um, what is it? War between rationality and and 
atavism, you know. Um, and so it's I, I think that's a major theme in the whole in the whole book, you know. Um, just what happens when you uh, when you strip away this sort of um, veneer of rationality that we have, which I think is 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 the sheltering sky, you know. What happens when you get rid of that sheltering sky and then you're able to look into the infinity, the infinite, which is this, um, who knows, like it, it, it's set in North Africa and that's, um, it makes sense because that's where Paul Bowles, of course, lived as well with his wife. Um, and he traveled a lot and, and studied the music of North Africa and composed with uh, North African musicians. Um, but it's almost as if it could, it could have happened anywhere it's not um it, it, it of course it's a travel book but it's it's really deeper it's like you, why do we travel we travel to see um to to find something completely different than ourselves um to find to get a sense of the infinite really um and so that's i think that's what he's 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 getting to you know like uh in in all of his books can I just say here, uh, guys, I, this is the big thing I thought, too, after the film finished. I was like, OK, this is Kit's story. It has to be her story because she's the one who's present at the beginning and then through the end. And so that's one way that I felt like the, the trailer maybe or the first part of the book, you know, it's only <clears throat> upon a second viewing or a reflection do we kind of realize that maybe she's the main protagonist and it, it's it's about her her uh, gaunt, the gauntlet of struggle that she endures and then that survival that she then, you know, captures. But in the book, yes, I was, even in the, the first bit that I read, it delved much deeper into the sense of her omen um, practice. Uh, the the film, there's this scene at the beginning where Port says, starts telling his dream and um, Kit leaves and runs away mm -hmm. crying. And in the book, we really understand more deeply about why. And there's a, there's a, several pages explaining her attitude about why that was triggering for her that we lose in the book or in the movie. Yeah. yeah. But whereas the movie, you know, it's clear that so it, it makes sense to me that like that's what was sort of removed from the, the adaptation was this focus on her, the depth of her character at the beginning and probably all through the book, I'm guessing, because, um, you know, the film becomes a film about her. Well, so what I was referencing, SJ, is um, so the the uh, Port's initial sex scene was really explicit in the film, but I didn't feel it was that explicit in the in the text. But at the end, um, she get jumps on the caravan, and and the guy she he she ends up being his sex slave for a while, and then there's two men involved. And so it, it was this trio of her and these two other men. And I felt like mm -hmm. that was intentional because it was the same kind of mm -hmm. thing with, with Tunner and Port. And then, you know, it, it seemed like it, it, she was definitely imprisoned in the book. And so it's both psychologically and physically, like it, it, it seemed like there was this, this tension, you know, that, was happening with her and her husband too, you know? So like there was, it was, it was, um, it, it would, you know, like what you were saying, Sonora about like seeing the infinite, it's almost like this was the projection, like her shadow work that, um, she was doing in some strange way. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's weird. Like uh, just just that first scene. Uh, I don't know if we can call it first scene, but the the uh, the scene where Port um, takes a stroll in the initial in the initial town that they're in, and then he uh, and then he meets. Um, Oh, sorry. Okay, no, it, we can back up further. Like, yeah, I'm I'm just trying to get a sense of this the chain of events, the, the sort of chain of omens that happen, and and it does really start with that dream um, when he's talking about. Um, and just to go into that dream a little bit, he's talking about uh, he had a some crazy dream where it's a train, and it's about to hit this mountain, and the mountain is like could be a bed and. Uh, and sheets as well, but the bed, the the train is full speed going towards this mountain, about to crash, and then he he gets a sense that he can um, decide if he would choose to live his life over completely again, in every every bit of its detail. It kind of uh, Nietzsche's eternal return, you know. Um, and so initially, in the dream, initially he says. No, I wouldn't want that. And then just a second or so later, he's, he's like, wait, I would do it. Yeah, just to experience that one. Um, and he, he talks about this later, but this one afternoon when he was a kid, like just to experience that that smell of the spring or something he, he talks about, um, I, I would do it all again. But because he had said no initially, that was enough to throw it off. And then he had a realize he had this realization he was going to smash into the mountain, and he ends up uh, cracking off one of his teeth. <laughs> um, so uh, he's telling this story to Tunner and Kit, and Kit, like you guys said, um, she she gets totally upset by this, and she rushes off, and Tunner Tunner's listening kind of more politely about it, um, but so you get the sense afterwards. Um, then Kit tells Port, why, uh, why did you tell this dream? And she's obviously upset, and she's upset because she thinks it's a bad omen, right? She thinks it's a bad omen of going into a train and getting into a, an accident. Um, but she, she expresses it in terms of, why did you say that in front of Tunner? Um, and so it's kind of this, this weird deception that they have. They're never really communicating um, honestly completely to each other the three of them and and this is a difference in the movie too because in the movie um a lot of the lines in the movie spoken lines are just in the narrative in the book so they're not really spoken so it kind of changes the character in a, in a little way but anyways he um so so she's uh she says uh, why did you have to tell that in front of tunner tunner's going to go back and tell everybody in New York about, about what you said and, you, and, and Port's like, what the fuck do I care about that? <laughs> you know, um, But that's enough to trigger in his mind that um, why is she worried about what Tunner thinks? And then it puts this bug in his mind that Tunner has come on to her. And then he goes on that stroll and he meets, he meets that uh, young Arab guy that you were talking about and then there's a line in the book. It's um, so the, the young Arab is he, he's on this hill, ports on this hill, looking down into this uh, valley of of another village, and uh, the the Arab says to him, 
what are you searching for in French? What are you searching for? And then Port, in his own mind, he says, here's where the trouble begins. Here's where trouble begins. And so that's basically, that's where it starts. And then, and then it's this whole series of things that just unfold through the book. And you, you can't really stop them after that point, in a way. Yeah, that that's great. And I, I just pulled up the book here. And this is, I mean, this, there's so much here thematically to, to, to go into that. But I wanted just to say, here's the sex scene. Um, and I think it's some of it may be um, a modesty in the writing. I don't know how explicit the sex gets later in the book, but he basically says here, then he felt her soft arms slowly encircle his necks, his neck and her lips on his forehead. And then there's this paragraph about a howling dog in the distance. And then it says no more than a quarter of an hour later, he got up and fiddled with his clothes. So I think it's implied there was actually a consummation. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, for sure, I'd say. Yeah, and, and, and I want to go just back a little bit here because I, I think um, one of the things when I read this first par- this first part of the book that was different, I was struck by how different it was. I was like, Port is really an, an arrogant asshole. Like about the culture that he's in, there's the way he describes the people. It feels much more um, kind of pompous and kind of dismissing. And I don't know if later in the book he changes with that because there's a scene in the film where he's defending the North African people to that English uh, mother and her son. And so I was thinking he might have more of an open attitude, but in the book it's clear that he's kind of like, these people are, you know, I'm better than these people in a way. And I think, so just to touch on some of the themes here quickly, for me, like that's one of the themes, maybe the sheltering sky is the idea of the American protection of kind of the American abundance or American culture or this sort of Western chauvinism that then gets pierced when, you know, the characters are confronted with leaving that space. They have to then attitudinally kind of be broken down or cleansed from the shelter of that sort of Western power hegemony. I mean, we're post-World War II here, and that's certainly a story of American hegemony that begins after the World War II moment. Um, So that's a big theme. But I also think this relational dynamic that you were just saying, like marriage as a protectorate, you know, even though they're having problems, it sounds like they've been married 10, 15 years. Those are kind of natural problems you may have in a marriage, you know, power struggles, you know, the will of one partner overriding the will of another. Kit to me feels very stifled in the marriage in a way, like she's sort of given herself over to Port's desires for exploration. And what happens when that shelter breaks down, when the spouse goes, you know, I think the there, you know, in the in the book and in the story and in the film, you know, she's then exploited as this as a sex slave. But I do think there's something here. I mean, we're dealing with these themes in the modern context, like um, and maybe Orientalism is some kind of a theme here of this kind of chauvinism or this disdain or or this real issue of like, what about Western culture compared to Eastern culture, particularly with the treatment of women? And we're talking about Middle Eastern or North African, you know, that's a real issue that people debate. It's like, on the one hand, yes, we do have American and Western chauvinism, but on the other hand, is there something that maybe is so-called better or more protective of the, the feminine or the female that we have in the West that we lose? You know, Do you see what I'm saying? I'm not trying to take a position here. I'm just raising the issue. Um, but that's certainly here if you, if, when you have the sense of sex slavery that comes from the culture of those, those traveling nomads. You know, and to them, it was probably pretty normal. You know, it seemed like so. Anyhow, just throwing some other themes out. I wanted to get those out here while, while we're on this um, and while Zanor raised some of this. 
Yeah, something that I realized when I watched the film is that the film makes a lot of the the ideas more literal. And so um, yeah. when I'm reading the book, it, it feels highly symbolic. And so the, uh, the point you make about post-World War, I think, is super important because I think this idea of, of you know, like uh, just everything being broken. Um, it, I mean, it seems like there's this kind of, I don't know, what do you call You know, it's almost like a hangover where the whole culture is just trying to figure out, you know, what what's next. Um, and so, uh, I mean, f- from an individual's point of view, you know, there is some autobiographical nature about the main character. And so it's almost like for Paul Bowles to live, he needs to kill, you know, he needs to die from the inside. So this, you know, this is a book about alienation, but also identity. You know, he loses his passport and and that's when he gets sick. But then, you know, when his, when Tunner is going to come to the rescue with the passport, then he flees, you know, even deeper into you know, into the, um, the abyss. And then, you know, (laughs) the same thing, like at some point she doesn't want to care for her husband anymore. Like she's, she's, she's kind of over it. She starts leaving him alone, you know, in, in his little typhoid cell. And then, you know, she gathers up the money and goes herself, you know, deeper into, you know, so it, 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 it's Africa, but it could be, you know, it could be a, a Philip K. Dick space world at the same time. You know, like it's it's, it's the what is it? It's an art. It's the heart of darkness is another way to put it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I was thinking about that too. There's there's all, the, the metaphors of like uh, the the desert and the desert uh, being like the sea. You know, and people getting lost at sea, lost yeah. in the desert, and then and then. The desert reflects the sky too, and so it's, it's the sky, and then the desert, and then the uh, the sea that's not really there. But uh, the the three of those things are sort of go together, a sense of yep. getting lost in them. And but that's that's the thing. It's like uh, um, Port is the one who wants to break the sheltering sky and go into it and get lost and fully lost um, and. Maybe he does. I think he does actually. But but in a way, it's like uh, um, he does it because he dies. But Kit, who wasn't as enthusiastic about doing that, um, you don't get a sense that that's what she's there to do. Um, she's the one who ends up doing it, you know. Um, and that's so she. She goes into the sky like the the last. Um, this book is split into three three other books and it's um the the titles of these three books are interesting too right but the last one is called the sky and that's her story at the end um where she just goes off into the desert and like it's it's weird to talk about the sex slavery like in in a way sure that's true but um again she offers herself to them it's not like she was abducted she fully this camel caravan came along to this kind of oasis that she was at and she completely offers herself. Um, there is like, um, I, I, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to say it's, it's completely voluntary or anything because there are kind of coercive elements to it, obviously, you know? Um, but 
she ends up giving herself. And then at that time, her, her mind is completely changed. Um, so she describes herself as like she's no longer obsessed about the omens. And she says right in there, I'm, I, I can no longer be hysterical. And so um, she thinks from that point on, she's not going to be looking at the omens. She's going to be making the omens. She's going to be the omens. Um, so she describes her change in mindset as uh, she's starting to live life again. Instead of, instead of just li looking at life through a window, um, she's starting to be involved in life in a way that she hadn't been involved since she was a kid. Um, so it's what happens at the end is, is really uh, that's what I was wondering about. Like somebody who, who has just watched the movie and not um, read the book. I, I don't know what an experience it would be like if uh, um, if somebody would catch all of that. I, I don't know. Like it, it's hard. Like I watch the movie twice, but always reading the book before. Um, because you don't really get that sense in the movie, I don't think, of everything that she's going through in her own mind. Um, like, obviously, she's deeply in, in grief, um, but in a way, she has this kind of awakening experience, too. Um, and she does go past the sheltering sky into something else. Um, and then she's horrified at the end when finally... Um, the French and then the Americans find her and then she's, she's taken back to, uh, an American embassy or something in, in, uh, um, like Tangiers or something. Um, she's horrified. She, she describes that as like her, her, her dark dream is finished and now she has to go back into the, the light, the harsh, the harsh and unending light, painful light. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's interesting all that. Yeah, yeah, this is, this is, I mean, there are a couple of things just all here. I mean, at the end when she refuses Tunner, so he's there waiting. She's to, in the film and she's told Tunner is probably going to be at the hotel. The um, embassy agent or the worker at the embassy goes to get Tunner and then she breaks free. She doesn't want to go back, you know, and it's hard to know how much of that. I, I did get a sense in the film that she, there was a, um, a psychological, she's clearly broken psychologically maybe even experiencing kind of psychotic, um, you know, maybe that's the wrong word, but, you know, she's like this, like wild art, you know, kind of nonsensical writings that she's putting all over her bed. And it's clearly some kind of massive, massive, um, uh, you know, uh, catharsis. So that's, that tends to have a positive connotation, but intense, emotional, mental, spiritual, um, uh, you know, threshold she crosses through and this is what i was saying earlier about problematizing i mean we can't it's also clear in the book that she's offering herself at a way I, I was reading that more as like survival because these people know how to survive and so there might be some just survival instinct there that had her you know attaching herself to, to this this group that was eating and she's eating these big meals but the one thing the one scene there's two things i want to say the scene where one of my favorite, this is my favorite scene, I think, where Tunner of, of a few, but um, it's the day after Tunner and Kit, we have to mention, they do have an affair. They get drunk together and, and sleep together. Um, and the morning after that, Port could probably knows or senses it or at some level knows that there is something happening between the two. But he takes Kit, Port takes Kit, and he's saying, this is what I wanted to show you. This is why I brought you here. This is why we're here. Come with me. And they get lost in the desert. 
and they approach this vista, this beautiful landscape that they then share together in this very intimate, precious, beautiful moment that I think shows just how much they did love each other and how much there was a, a love between them um, and that they kind of uh, satisfy the desires that they that had brought them to that moment, you know, and I think that's also part of the theme of the film is that in, in even in a relationship where you love someone, there's limits, you know, it might shelter you. But what about this? The tr these other truths of life? Like, you know, you can't get all your needs met from another person kind of thing. I mean, there's inherent breakdowns in relationships. It can be a kind of shelter, but then it's 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 protecting us from these maybe greater spiritual truths of what the soul is and who we're meant to be with and exchange with, etc. So I think that. Um, and then the, the other scene I wanted to mention is that final scene where she's getting the soup again. I love the soup as an image because that's sustenance, that's life. We need soup to live and that there's kind of this breakdown of the food at multiple times in the story. But she starts throwing the Franks at these villagers in, in a village that's clearly um, disconnected greatly from Western society. And they're just looking at her like, get out of here, honey. Like she didn't get in line properly or something when she grabbed the soup and then she tries to pay them and that fails. And it's almost like the piercing of the old culture is complete at that point, or even the money's failed and there's nothing she can do except kind of collapse. And that's sort of the beginning of her then getting rescued. But um, anyhow, yeah, I, I do think it comes through to me that there was, it wasn't all bad. It wasn't like she was just totally being abused. There was something else happening very symbolically. And one, then this last thing I'll say, I think the film did an excellent job of removing dialogue because you don't have much dialogue between her and the nomads to take her in. Just there's not, they can't communicate very well, but this the what the actions they chose to show and the the, the dialogueless shots and um, I think it captures what you described, Snor. To me, it did at least of her releasing into something that was both cathartic and terrifying, and at the same time, and that through that she becomes this kind of new person, and it's not a total rejection of what she went through as so-called bad, you know. So yeah, that um. The part in the book is is it's worth reading about that. Um, so she's going to um, so remember she's in the uh, French barracks where um, Port ends up dying, and then she just leaves him. She finds out he's already dead, and leaves him. But an important part they sort of left out in the movie too is that she meets Tunner again. Um, Tunner comes into that. Um, little town or, or whatever oh. and she goes and meets him and they get together again and they spend hours with each other and they end up sleeping with each other again in the desert you, they can't get back into the uh, the barracks um, so they end up sleeping again, uh, together again in the desert um, and she breaks down in his arms and says I, uh, how much she loves Port um, and Tanner just smiles so kind of <laughs> it's weird mm. his reaction <laughs> um, a player but then so then she gets back in in the morning i guess she gets back in and and uh he's already dead i think and then yeah she he's already dead at that time and so then she leaves she she packs up her bag and leaves um she visits this um it's this jewish merchant in the uh town who's kind of this outsider on his own and uh she sort of um stays with him for a little bit and then goes off by herself into the desert um towards this it, it's just described as this 
this black African village where there's drumming going on. And she, she goes towards this and goes into this kind of um, oasis kind of place where there's trees and a pool. Um, and this is the important part. Like she goes to this pool. So, so this part from the book is excellent. She stood staring at the calm, dark surface of the water. Straight away, she found it impossible to know whether she had thought of bathing just before or just after seeing the pool. Whichever it was, there was the pool. She reached through the aperture in the crumbling wall and set down her bag before climbing across a pile of dirt that lay in her way. Once in the garden, she found herself pulling off her clothes. She felt a vague surprise that her actions should go on so far ahead of her consciousness of them. Um, then it goes on. She kicked off her sandals and stood naked in the shadows. She felt a strange intensity being born within her. As she looked about the quiet garden, she had the impression that for the first time since her childhood, she was seeing objects clearly. Life was suddenly there. She was in it, not looking through the window at it. The dignity that came from the feeling a part of its power and grandeur. There was a familiar sensation, but it was years ago that she had last known it. She stepped out into the moonlight and waded slowly towards the center of the pool. Its floor was slippery with clay. In the middle of the water, it came to her waist. As she immersed herself completely, the thought came to her, I shall never be hysterical again. That kind of tension, that degree of caring about herself, she would never uh, attain them anymore in her life. Her life did not recede from her. It's here to stay. Um, she swiftly walked along, focusing her mind on that, on that feeling of solid delight she had captured. She had always known it was there, just behind things, but long ago she had accepted not having it as a natural condition of life. Because she had found it again, the joy of being, she said to herself that she would hang on to it no matter what the effort entailed. She pulled a piece of bread from the pocket of her coat and ate it voraciously. Um, so that's it's weird. Like right after she finds out um, Port is dead, um, she goes off into the desert alone and then has this kind of awakening. Um, and it's not, obviously, it's not a sense of um, joy that he's dead, but just something clicks in her mind and she starts to see life again. And then right after that, there's the caravan comes to the uh, that oasis and she just, um, <laughs> she, she just, hitches a ride with them basically uh, and then she she becomes the guy's wife after all like um so um like at first uh, at first she has to um disguise herself or she is disguised as this arab boy and then they find out um he, this this caravan driver's uh three other wives find out that she is uh an actual woman and then they attack her um, physically, and then basically he, uh, the caravan driver, makes her his wife. Um, so it's yeah, it's uh, he gives he gives her all their jewels. Yeah, yeah. So he, he she basically becomes his main wife in a in a way. Um, and then she but it, leaves. It, the the psychology of that part is twisted though because she loves him so much, but then. And she's living for him completely and utterly because she's locked in that room by herself, and that's yeah. all that there is. But then, when he's gone for a little bit of time, she realizes, you know, that there's more than just this. And then it's almost like, um, you know, where she's it's it. I I felt like it's Stockholm syndrome, you know, where she he kind of fell in love with her abuser scenario well, a little bit. Well, there's there's one part where she says. Uh, um, 
like there are men like him everywhere, you know, and and these men could could uh, give me pleasure the same as he gives me pleasure, um, maybe even in this house, <laughs> and, and then she decides to leave. Like it, it's not, um, I, I I'm in no way trying to justify what happened to her at, at all, you know, but uh, but it's like it, it's very complex what's happening, you know. Um, like I'm sure people have criticized Bulls for his uh, depiction of of her in that situation, but um, I don't know on on the level of the story though, um, including including Port's whole uh, experience, it it's saying something different, I think. Yeah, and this is kind of what I was saying. The theme it's like this notion of the Western mind from the Western mind. Um, in, you know, freedom from the Western mind might be kind of a, a, another descriptive part of her story. You know, she's having to let go of her husband. That's that's very Western. You know, the grieving wife and all of this stuff. She just doesn't do that at all, and she almost continues his journey. I mean, that's how I saw yeah. it. That yeah, Ford yeah. could. Yep. You know, this is. And um, by the way, this is one of my favorite lines too. I think it's. I like how you phrased this earlier, Nora. The big, the initial, like the the first domino that falls in that opening chapter is the dream. Um, at, but this is the line they're sitting there in the film, and Malkovic. Uh, the way Malkovic intones this line, it has a little bit of a different quality than in the book. But so he's sitting with this guy Shmael. Shmael. I'm thinking that's Ishmael, but like shortened Shmael. And he's the um, the Arab that takes him to the prostitute. And he says here in the book, this is from the book, you're sad, said Shmael. No, no. He looked up, this is Port, and smiled wistfully and then resumed watching the glass. You live only a short time, ill-thought regular. That's that's not the French. I can't do the French. Um, and then it says Port was impatient. He was not in a good mood for cafe philosophizing. And then he just says, yes, I know, he said shortly. As he sighed, Shmael pinched his arm and his eyes were shining. And I love how Malkovich says that in the book. It's just like, I know. It's like this kind of like understood feature that sometimes artists can embody or writers of like the kind of um, the firing line of life that each moment offers, you know, and the present moment is this powerful opportunity to kind of embrace, you know, and, and, and I, I just love when I read it in the book, I was like, okay, this is clearly foreshadowing. The dream's clearly foreshadowing that he's going to die. But in the movie, when I was watching it, I had no idea. I thought this was just about seizing the day kind of thing, you know, making the best of the life you have. And um, I think this attitude is is something that uh, when he passes on and that death scene in the film, I mean, Malkovic is just howling. I, I don't mm, think I've, mm. he, I've heard wailing like that in pain. I've <laughs> yeah. seen it on film in quite a powerful of a, of a way. I love Malkovic. Um but but you know she carries that on. I feel like what you just read there, Janor, it's like she says, "All right, I'm going to take up this mantle and go deeper in to this mm -hmm. unknown, to this like I'm going to leave this protection of the sky even more, carry this torch here." And so that might be part of her grieving, I think, of of like of like uh, undertaking the the intensity of what she goes through. Of course, it's traumatic psychologically, but. I think she's living kind of their porch dream and their shared dream in a way because she was consenting. You know, she went with him. Um, yeah, and, and, and so, yeah, it's it's a really good point. It's like how much um, how much grief is she repressing? And then that's just her way of dealing with it. And obviously, that's that's what most people would say is that she's just she's um, 
she's deeply, deeply grieving and she has to deal with it some, in some way, you know? Um, and that's probably, that's probably true. Like it's hard to argue against it, but on the other hand, you get a sense reading this, that, that something else has happened, you know, like, uh, that she's, she's really broken through and it's not until she has to go back to civilization, so-called, um, that, she starts to uh, become terrified, you know. Well, if if her identity was bound up in port, you know, when he died, that's when she lost, like the 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 sky, you know, the sheltering sky, the protection from the whatever is beyond, mm-hmm. the safety or whatever it is. Um, and she just went fully into the, the darkness, I guess. Darkness being the unknown. And discovered her, the, you know, at the pool, like you were saying. The, the, um, it's interesting, too, because Port, um, before he was, when he was sick, he, he was saying to her, I've, I think it's that part, I've only lived for you, you know? And she's like, what he's never lived for me you know Mm -hmm. it's the opposite you know um but that's his thinking about it you know um so it's like uh for him it's um yeah he wants to get to a certain point that he feels like he's not able to get to um but then but this is the other thing in the in the in the movie um what you sort of lose like you get those that awesome scene Esther you're talking about of him just wailing in pain but in the in the book you get his his inner thoughts his inner fever thoughts which are incredible um and you get a sense that it's not um it's not as if those thoughts are detached from the narrative of the book that the adventures that he has in his fever dreams continue on the narrative his own narrative of the book um, so it's it's uh it's really amazing just to read those passages like those um the the fever fever dream passages that he had and especially right at the end when he dies which is um did doug did you notice anything about the uh the uh the last kind of the last paragraph of when he dies that his his final vision did you, did you notice any any weirdness there? It was... I, I don't know. Um, so I wanted to talk about that inner... So, like, if we think of this as not a physical journey, but a metaphysical journey, all the stuff that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, he, so when, he, when he's going into these fever realms, and then he comes back and talks to Kit, and he's like, he, he's describing you know, multi-dimensions and or mirrored dimensions and that he's not able to get back and is he really back and he doesn't know, you know, if up is truly up or what's going on. I mean, that was really, really fascinating as far as like from the malaise stand, you know, standpoint. If, if everyone is kind of under this cloud of... Um, I, I'm having a hard time describe, you know, how you feel when, you know, it's like it's you. 
you know, the next day. It's the day after whatever whatever shenanigans happened, and then you're just kind of in this, you know, the cloud of, um, you're not in life anymore. You're more like kind of um, waiting for the, the next adventure. Mm. You know, trying to get back to being alive. And so I'm, I'm trying to think of that in terms of how after the war, you know, then eventually you got to the 50s, you know, and everyone did embrace, you know, capitalism and, and got some fridges and TVs and, you know, we marched on to the future. But the beats, and so like, all right, so we blasted through 42 minutes and maybe... Maybe we should just say, you've been listening to 42 Minutes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> for more information about the Snake Book or our guests, you know, check out uh, other book club shows. These book club shows are some of the best. Uh, go to thesyncbook.com. Uh, all the Book radio archives are free. You can just type in book club and all the links appear. Um, all this and more can be found at thesyncbook.com. Thanks so much. And all three of the glasses were full of sand. That was how they had their tea in the Sahara. Something happened on the day he died. The spirit rose a meter and stepped aside. Somebody else took his place and bravely cried. I'm a black stone. I'm a black stone. How many times does an angel fall?